Hello, everybody. We got a, a, a special show tonight, actually. Um, so Rob, Rob had a baby. Uh, what is she? Two months old now, Rob? Uh, nine weeks. Yep. Nine weeks, and he named his daughter Philomena. And mm-hmm. uh, Father Peregrine Fletcher wrote a book on Saint Philomena, and we thought it would be great, especially for Rob's daughter when she gets a little older. Because I'm gonna, to be completely honest, this is entirely selfish. <laughs> so that I have this episode to show her later on in life. Praise the Lord. That's great. So um, before we even get into the uh, into the book, though, Father, so you, you wrote a book on St. Philomena, right? Right. Right. That's okay, right. Okay. So um, so how long, uh, how long have you been a priest? When did you get ordained? I was ordained in that very tumultuous year of 2020. So I just celebrated my uh, third year uh, anniversary of ordination. And uh, I was ordained a deacon the year before that in 2019, and I made my uh, solemn profession of vows in the Norbertine order uh, in that same year, 2019. So I've been living and working as uh, a religious and as a priest in total, really, uh, well, as a priest for three years, and I've been at the Abbey for a total of uh, 10 years now, since 2013. So, well, since you guys were in an abbey and pretty secluded, I'd imagine it's not, you didn't have to deal with as much craziness as we did, right? I think that's true. And we were definitely a source of, um, I think, consolation for a lot of the faithful. Um, it was, those are tricky times to navigate uh, through for uh, for many religious communities, but we tried to make the sacraments as available as we could Um yeah, those were crazy times, and uh, I'm glad we're uh, a few years out. My, my little sister leaves August 14th. She is joining the Passionist Nuns, so she did her. Um, she goes for her postulancy now, right, Rob? That's what she's going for. So she she did her aspirancy. Uh, she, she did her aspirancy, and now she's okay. going for her postulancy. Oh. So. Congratulations! That's it's an that's an honor, and that's um. Gosh, they're a serious group of uh, uh, of religious, those passionists. So yeah. it's wonderful. Yeah, she. I mean, just a couple of stories she told. I mean, she came back. We interviewed her when she came back and stuff, and it was just like, it, like she's about ten years younger than me, and she she was always my little sister, and now she's like a spiritual mother to me. So yeah. it was just such That's, a. And she'll grow. She'll grow fast. Time in a monastery definitely it intensifies her spiritual life. And um, passionist that that she's going to be completely enclosed. Is that right? Yes, full cloister. Yeah, Yeah, she'll she's going to grow by leaps and bounds. So she'll be if she was already starting out as a spiritual, uh, you know, uh, force or mother, she's going to grow all the more in these coming days. What what led you to go and look toward the Norbertines? Did you like when you were discerning your vocation? Did you check a few places out? Definitely. I actually started out as a diocesan priest when I was 19 years old. Oh, sorry, I started out as a diocesan seminarian. Yeah. <laughs> and I, uh, I was, yeah, discerning my vocation. I felt a call to the priesthood. I wasn't sure exactly what to do and where to go. Um, so I thought, oh, I'll just check out the local diocesan seminary. And that was in the Archdiocese of St. Louis. Wonderful seminary. I had a wonderful experience. And I was there for six and a half years, which were really beautiful years. But I also felt like there was something missing from my vocation. And I had a sense that that was probably religious life, monastic life, um, a a life in vows. I wasn't sure. So long story short, I ended up discerning uh, 
with several communities. And I discovered the Norbertines through a priest friend of mine who uh, grew up in Southern California. And I knew nothing about California. And it was so far away from Missouri. And the, it seemed like a different world and a different culture. I was hesitant to go, but I went and I loved the monastery. And the brothers there, the fathers there, um, had a very serious religious life. They were very committed to the, the worship of God and the divine office. They gathered together seven times a day to praise God and in, in worship of him. And then they were very devoted to the Blessed Sacrament. And uh, they had a daily holy hour. They gathered together and they prayed together. And then they were very devoted to Our Lady. And I thought all of these factors, for me, that was everything. You know, I thought, gosh, I don't know if it's uh, if it's going to work out, but I thought I need to give this a try. And that was 10 years ago now. So. Wow. <laughs> so somebody's saying that the Norbertines actually taught uh, local diocesan priests the traditional mass at the Samoan Pontificum in 07. Is that, is that true? Do you know? We have... Uh, several priests who are able to do that. Um, so uh, it's not a, a main ministry that we have, but we have a lot of interest in our community uh, in the old mass. Um, and we have both, we have mass in, uh, in, in the, the Novus Ordo and then many priests at our Abbey say mass in the old rite uh, on their own as well. So we have, we kind of have to do it all, which is another th reason that I, I, I felt that uh, there was a sense of peace at the Abbey and balance when I got there. So when Rob had, okay, so now when Rob had his daughter, I had always heard the name St. Philomena. Yeah. But when, when he told me he was naming his daughter that, and especially while his wife was in the hospital having the baby, like I started actually reading about St. Philomena. <laughs> and like, so I, I didn't, I never realized that um, we only found her bones in like 1807, right? Right. Yeah, it was, it was a long time after her martyrdom, a very long time. And it's only in these recent centuries that she was, uh, discover she's a really unusual saint um, for, for that for that reason among others, uh, but a very powerful intercessor. Uh, but you're you're absolutely right. I was just um, so Philomena was removed from the universal calendar. So a lot of Catholics that that maybe didn't grow up while she was still on the calendar might not have any idea who she is. So can you give us like a, a yeah. brief summary of her story of her life? Absolutely. So uh, you brought up a, a probably the most controversial point about St. Philomena is she was caught up in the 1960s in the, the kind of turmoil that the church um, had kind of entered in. And there was a lot of doubt about some ancient saints. Uh, a lot of saints were called into question, beloved saints like St. Christopher, St. Barbara, St. Valentine. Uh, and so the, the calendar, the liturgical calendar was re-examined. Um, and some of the some of the feast days were removed and St. Philomena's feast was removed. But it's really important to know that her sainthood was never, ever revoked. And yeah. there's been some great confusion about that in the church. And people think, oh, St. Philomena's feast day is not uh, celebrated anymore liturgically. Uh, but it was always uh, really a local feast day. The Pope allowed her feast to be celebrated in certain places and certain times. And that's still allowed. The church still allows her, her feast to, to be taken from the common uh, there in the, the commons in the missal, the, the section for uh, saints without a proper uh, a proper liturgical feast. So you can still actually celebrate her in certain times and certain places. Uh, so she's still a saint. But her story was also um, discovered after her 
her bones were discovered in the early 1800s. Uh, so they, they found a skeleton uh, in the catacombs of St. Priscilla in Rome. They found a vial of her blood that was uh, buried with her. They found her nameplate in terracotta tiles that was on her, uh, on her uh, tomb. And then obviously the skeleton of this 13 year old girl. And given that she was discovered with the martyrs, it was obvious uh, to the excavators and uh, to the, the, the religious leaders of the time that this is a very, this is an important discovery, these bones. And so she was brought uh, to, to, to the Vatican and she was where she was kept for several years. And when her bones were eventually transferred to uh, where her current shrine is in Southern Italy near Naples, there were many miracles that started happening. So many miracles started happening surrounding her relics, wherever they went. And the Bishop of Nola there in Southern Italy confirmed that these are real miracles, that this is a, that we don't know who this Philomena is, but she is clearly a powerful saint. Uh, and so all of those uh, miracles, they just kept occurring and getting confirmed by uh, religious authorities. And eventually, some years later, there were several visions, visionaries who had uh, pri these private revelations of the life of St. Philomena. And there aren't a ton of details that came through, but all of the, re all of the revelations matched up and they were presented to the Holy Office in Rome who confirmed uh, that, these, uh, that there's nothing uh, in these revelations that are contrary to the faith and we can tell the story. The story of St. Philomena can be told in the church. And so it was told and, and many saints uh, fell in love with her. St. John Vianney, who's... Uh, who is probably her biggest advocate, the Curie of ours, uh, loved her. And uh, he himself was, uh, uh, was cured of, uh, of an illness based on uh, her intercession. And also, it's really interesting to note that he saw visions of St. Philomena, that she spoke to him. And he amazingly, amazingly attributed the miracles that came to ours during his time there as the pastor, he attributed the miracles to St. Philomena's intercession, and he built a, a shrine to her, an altar. You can still go and see it today. You can still say mass in ours at her at her altar. So it's amazing. Uh, and so it was. he had this strong devotion to her. And because she was so recent in his lifetime, he really took a, a, a liking to her and uh, became her biggest advocate of the time. So I've, I've been going to sleep listening to this uh, church history documentary and it's really f crazy because um, so St. Philomena was during the time of Diocletian, right. right? And this is very early church history. And when you hear the stories about the saints in the early church, like the martyrs of the early church, they're some of the, they, they almost sound like fiction, but there, there were such miracles early on in the church because God wanted the faith to spread mm -hmm. that kind of, when you start to hear some of them, you're like, like when you hear, uh, like, um, so I get, I get cluster headaches. So I always prayed to St. Lawrence, but St. Lawrence had said, said that they beheaded him and he walked around carrying his head and preaching still with his head in his hands. So when you hear like, like I, I'm going to let you tell it how she actually died, but when sure. you hear it, it almost sounds unbelievable, but I really do think God was performing phenomenal, amazing mm -hmm. miracles during this period. Right. I, I, I 100% uh, agree with you. And I think, 
I think there are miracles that we that are happening today too, but we don't often see them just because of the noise of our culture, because we attribute them to other, I don't know, scientific or, uh, you know, it, it, certain inventions of the modern world. But I do think that you're right, that St. Philomena and those early Christian saints and those early virgin martyrs especially became in, it, super important witnesses to the power of God at work, especially because as far as a timeline goes, they were very near to the time of Christ and his, his sacred time on earth. And that means something, you know, this, this beautiful, uh, you know, infant uh, church uh, was expanding and, and, and the faith of those early Christians was so strong. And St. Philomena was one, uh, you know, in her early, in her early years, she gave her life to Christ. And this is a commitment that she made to him. And it's something that makes her very relevant. This idea that we make a commitment and we live by that, even when the world does not agree with our commitment or give us very compelling reasons to give up on what we committed to. And St. Philomena, uh, she decided that she was going to remain a virgin and uh, be, be a bride of Christ. And even against all of the advice of people that she loved or uh, the, the, the powers the, 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 of the Roman Empire, uh, she remained she remained firm in her commitment and i think it's just such it's such the the perfect story for for our uh our you know youth and and frankly everyone today so she was right so she was thrown into the uh, she was well let's just start with she was um uh brought to rome and where the emperor uh, fell in love with her she herself was a greek uh, princess and uh, she came to rome with her father and her mother who were seeking uh, help from uh, the Emperor Diocletian in, in the protection of their small uh, Grecian state and, in, in a time of war. And he uh, fell in love with St. Philomena. And as he did with many Christians, and this often happened, uh, he simply wanted to, to take her as his own, as his bride, as she refused to do that. Uh, she was sent to prison. Uh, she was uh, tortured uh, for many days. And uh, she was thrown into... Uh, the Tiber uh, River with an anchor uh, uh, cast around her neck. She was shot at with arrows. Uh, that didn't work. None of this was actually killing her, which was a huge frustration to the powers of the time. And she just kept witnessing to the power of Christ um, and what her yes to Christ meant and what her no to them meant. Uh, it was re it's a really beautiful story. And in the end, of course, she is uh, she's killed with um, with a lance in the neck. She's beheaded. Um, and uh, in the end, obviously, this is her great victory, her, her martyrdom. So it, it's interesting, too, because the private revelations, which tell detail these, these few you know, accounts of her within her story, really confirm what happened in the ancient world. The Emperor Diocletian was, was known for having tied anchors around the necks of Christians and throwing them in the Tiber. He was known for having shot arrows. Uh, and so the fact that St. Philomena has the same story is really not unique to her. Um, so she joins the 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 the, the roster of virgin martyrs, really, uh, for for these really beautiful, all these beautiful reasons. So, um, so uh, Aurora Virgin is asking how we know it was her bones, and but when they found it in Saint Priscilla's tomb, there mm -hmm. were um, there were uh, tiles, right? Right, right. There were uh, there were three tiles that had remained through history, and the tiles it's pretty amazing. They said uh, the words Pax Tecum Philomena. And that in Latin means peace to you, Philomena. 
And around uh, her name and on those terracotta tiles, there was uh, there were certain images, uh, uh, Christian graffiti, so to speak. There was an anchor, and there were images of arrows. Uh, there was the image of the lily, which is the image of, of holy purity. Um, so these images all kind of tell the story of Saint Philomena. They 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 were images of of how um, of how she died that the ancient Christians put on her put on her uh, on her tombstone there. You said that they found a vial of blood with her yes. bones. Do you know was that blood uh, dried or was it was it liquefied? Yes, uh, the blood was dried. It was. It's known to be blood be, uh, just because they, they did you know forensic testing on all of these on all of these things. So it's clear that it uh, it is blood and was uh, you know especially it, uh, it was uh, blood. Now it's been uh, I don't know what you would say petrified, but there have been certain accounts. Uh, in church history where it has like other, the blood of other saints has, has liquefied again. Um, but yes, as of now, it's, uh, it's, it's, um, it's just, it's uh, dried blood. Yeah. Uh, we actually do know her story because there was a nun who actually had a, a locution where yeah. St. Philomena came to her and told her her whole story, right? Yeah. Like they tried to drown her twice, I think with the anchor around the neck and she just refused they, to drown. Yeah, no, she did. She wouldn't, she was so strong. And yeah, the, the, the nun, uh, for those who might like, like to look up, uh, her and her story, her name is sister Maria Luisa DJ zoo. And she was a Dominican, uh, tertiary uh, sister, uh, very well known and, but well revered at, at the time. It was eight, it was 1833 when, uh, that private revelation received its approval for, uh, for dissemination when people were given the uh, freedom to, to tell her story. What, what drew you to this story to make you want to write about it? You know, it's a good question. And this people have been asking me, I'm so glad because it's been a beautiful reminder for my early years at the Abbey. St. Philomena is not a Norbertine saint. So, so people ask, <laughs> how did you, how did, why are you so devoted to her? And really it's a devotion that I share with my brothers back at the Abbey. When I, when I became a postulant, myself and entered the Abbey back in 2013, um, there was a statue and a relic in the middle of our novitiate hallway where the novices live. And I saw uh, throughout the day that there were uh, various novices uh, and other seminarians stopping by the shrine there and praying to St. Philomena. They were on their knees in front of her relic. We have a relic of her bone. And uh, they would pray there. They would light candles to her and it was very, it was a very beautiful witness to me. I didn't know anything about her when I entered the abbey, but I decided that I maybe this is something I should also. Uh, this is a saint I should, um, I should also be devoted to. So it took me some time. I didn't want to just, you know, uh, I wanted to kind of test Saint Philomena, and I, and uh, she proved herself to really look out for me, and she would. I know she was answering my prayers and taking care of the abbey and and my brothers. So. It was through my vocation at St. Michael's Abbey that I discovered St. Philomena and uh, and why I'm s devoted to her today, as are many of my brothers uh, back at St. Michael's. Is this, a, is this a children's book or did you really write it as an adult book? How, how did you write it? That's probably the hardest question because, yes, I think it's definitely a, a being presented as a children's book. But as my brothers 
at the Abbey uh, have told me, they said, this is a book uh, for, for kids, but it's also a, a book for adult men and whoever needs the, the strong intercession of this virgin martyr in their life. So really it's a book for anyone. The text might actually be somewhat challenging. I'd also tried to make it you know, that anyone could pick up and read it. Uh, but it's in a poem uh, form. And my hope is that when adult, an adult reads this book, they also find it's edifying and they find that they can connect to uh, as well with St. Philomena. I, I, we, talk, we talk to young men a lot and a lot of young men struggle with purity in this day and age because of the garbage that's on the internet and stuff. I, I would honestly encourage everybody to maybe pick up a devotion to St. Philomena. Yeah. Like, like that. I mean, she's a virgin martyr and I would, I would imagine, I mean, of course we all go to our lady and pray the rosary and stuff, but I, I, I really never heard anybody say it like this, but I really think that like the part of the reason God grants favors to the saints is because he really wants us to know our siblings, right? Like he, mm-hmm. he wants us to know our siblings in the faith and like, not just as these people who were in the past. And it's not just about the miracles. Like he really wants you to get to know, especially the, the, the early saints, like those early saints get overlooked in our day and age mm-hmm. so much. Exactly. I mean, I was told by some publishers when I reached out to them with this book that um, the, one publisher in particular told me that they thought St. Philomena, they wondered why would she be relevant to, why would anyone want to read about her? And they, they, they said no to the book. And I was, obviously I, it was okay with me that they rejected me, but the idea that the rejection of St. Philomena was sad because she is so relevant. All of the ancient saints, if you listen to the Roman canon, the saints the, in mm-hmm. those, those early years, they are far away from us in time, but not far away from us in grace. And uh, yeah. saints like those saints in the canon, like St. Philomena, have proven uh, themselves uh, to be true, to be relevant, that their stories help us. And you brought up you brought up chastity. And St. Philomena is really beloved by uh, the youth who struggle uh, to be chaste. And there's a special cord that devotees of St. Philomena can wear. It was a, a cord that was uh, given and, and approved by, by uh, the popes in her time. And it's a red and white cord that you can wear around your around your waist, and it's blessed, and it's it's a symbol and a powerful sacramental uh, that that helps us uh, in our in our journey towards chastity. We we used to have a, a Catholic boarding school for boys at the Abbey before we moved to our new location, and we would always give those out to to the young men. And the young men in our uh, who who came to our high school love Saint Philomena, and they were so happy to wear her cord. Yeah, you know th- this is a a saint who was buried, you know, out of memory for 1500 years and and she could have remained buried, Mm -hmm. but yet, uh, you know, God seems to have uh, unburied her and brought her forth. I mean, literally right at the beginning of of modernity, you know, like, I don't know how she could be more, any more relevant to us truly. Amen. I'm with you there, Rob. And I think in a way they tried to bury her again in the 1960s. <laughs> um, but she just has proven herself time after time that she she can't be uh, can't be held back. And she's going to intercede for this church. And, you know, even saints, saints like Padre Pio was so devoted to her, calling her the little princess of heaven. And and she, there, there's just a long list of saints uh, who St. Peter Julian Amard is another one. Gosh, uh, St. Damien of Molokai, uh, Blessed Pauline Jericho, 
there's just a huge list of saints who trusted her. So I have no problem uh, trusting in St. Philomena and sharing her story. So I hope many people uh, really love her and get to know her and ask her for help. She's listening. I have a, a daughter who turned 13 on Sunday. I'm buying the book for her, but awesome. I want to make sure I let Rob get a lot of questions in because of his daughter. And Rob, I'm going to let you take all the audience questions and stuff because I always take over interviews on him. And I feel terrible. About <laughs> Congratulations that. to you, Rob, on your daughter. I think that's an amazing name. That's, Thank I'm you. so happy for your daughter that she has her as a patron. That's so exciting. Yeah, we're uh, as soon as, you know, I, I grew up Catholic and, and Philomena was one of those names that you heard and there's those little um, booklets that you tend to see all over mm-hmm. the, all over Catholic churches, you know, and she's one of them, of course, she's one. but I, I didn't know a ton about her. And then, you know, I was away from the faith for about 10 years and, and came back when we were, um, when my wife was pregnant with our firstborn and it was just, it's been since then where I've really learned about her. And as soon as, my wife and I learned about her. We knew that our first daughter was going to be named Philomena. Awesome. Awesome. But, um, so if, you know, later in life, as I'm reading this to Philomena, what, what are some, some themes that you kind of highlight in the book that you think would be good to really reinforce? I think that one theme that naturally surfaces from the book, I didn't even mean for it to, or try to have it surface. is just, a theme of um, perseverance and suffering and in darkness um, that it's, uh, it's a part of our Christian journey that will suffer, but we never ever suffer alone. And I, I hope that your daughter and I hope that whoever reads this book will see the presence of Christ, that Jesus is here present in all the episodes of her life. He was never ever absent. And there's one picture in the book that's, uh, probably in my estimation, maybe the most uh, poignant or the most successful picture, which is St. Philomena shrouded in darkness. It's just darkness and this and St. Philomena, but she's holding strong and she's in pain. Um, but in the end, Christ is there and we are victorious. I think it's that, that theme of persevering with Christ in our commitment to him, even when it seems like all of our strength has been taken away. Uh, it's not. We always have our, the, the the helpful presence and the graceful presence of our Savior. You want to go through some of the questions, Rob? We <clears throat> had a couple highlighted. Yeah. Um, I, I I mean because I really I'm I'm telling you like we've done a couple of shows talking about the early church and because I I have a uh, I have a devotion of Padre Pio. Awesome. Like I really have been getting so much from like those early, early mm-hmm. Christians. And like, it started off, we, we read uh, Tom Holland's book, Dominion, talking about the spread of Christianity. But I've, I'm telling you that when you really get into what some of the, how even sainthood came about, it was like, um, uh, because you hear a lot of twisted theories about it, right? And it, it, especially from Protestants and stuff. And they're like, they make it like, uh, it, it was a way for us to worship people it's it's like no no no, you don't realize that god granted favors to these people specifically so that we would have a devotion to them and it would and you would have specific saints would actually uh like they would guard an area or a location at times and stuff and they're they're, they they really are such a beautiful thing to to really know our history of our ancestry we need to get reacquainted with those saints and meet them they are all alive 
and well, you know, in heaven with with God. And so we have access to them there with 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 our with the Holy Trinity. So, um, yeah, but there's no reason we can't uh, get to know them. And I think that's the, the that's the call that you're answering and your interest in them. So I think it's really good. Since we only have you here for another couple of minutes, uh, we have a couple couple of questions from the audience. Sure. Um, one is, what is uh, what's like the charism of the Norbertines? Oh, that's a good question. So we were founded in a time before people were talking about charisms. We 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 are an ancient order, uh, about nine hundred years ago, and um, so when people ask us what our charism is, we usually tell them it's liturgy. And it's the worship of God. We're canons regular. So a canon regular is uh, essentially charged with the duty of worshiping God in the sacred liturgy. So you can kind of think of us as priest monks, so to speak, where we uh, we gather together and we worship God. And we're also, so we live what's called the Vita Mixta. We're not uh, strictly contemplative or active. We're contemplative and active. So we get together and the, the main thing that we do is pray, but that spills over into any number of ministries, teaching, chaplains at hospitals. Uh, gosh, uh, we do just about anything you can you can think of that a priest would do. We run two parishes in the diocese of, well, one in Orange and one in Los Angeles. So we kind of do it all. But the main thing that we do is worship. And the other question we have here is, uh, when did you know that that you were called to be a priest? Uh, you know, what what advice would you give okay. uh, to a young man maybe feeling a, a vocation? Okay, well, firstly, I think I knew I was called to be a priest when I was when my face was flat on the floor of our sanctuary church. And I heard the, the words of consecration from the bishop, and I knew, okay, I'm a priest. So I knew that God is now really asking this of me. Before that moment, before my ordination, there was a lot of discernment, and I had a strong sense that I wanted to serve him. I wanted God to be, um, obviously, I wanted God in the church. I wanted my life to be just subsumed by all things sacred and holy. Um, and it seemed to me that the best fit for me was the priesthood to do that. This was young though, right? You were, you were, well, I mean, I was, you went to seminary at 19. I was, I was 19 and I wasn't ordained a priest till I was 33 years old. Oh, and so okay. it took me, it took me a while. Uh, and I'm a, as my mom reminds me, I'm a late bloomer. But, uh, but the thing is, I think if you're interested in becoming a priest, don't be afraid to just try, just, uh, you know, uh, reach out to a local vocations director or a local religious community, a monastery, and just give it a shot. That's little Philomena. Is this Philomena? Oh, God <laughs> yeah. bless you, Philomena. It's nice yeah. to meet you. That's little Philomena. So thank you, Father. Do you much, have Father. five more minutes because I I, I kind of want to sure. ask you about about your your um your upbringing because, um. So I mean, if you were joining seminary at nineteen, did you have like a period where you were away from the faith at all? Like, because Rob and I both grew up Catholic, and both of us mm-hmm. kind of had a little. Mm-hmm. You know, you get caught up in the world, and you leave the faith, and then you then you get it reignited later on in life. Mm-hmm. Did you have a period, or did you always really have a close relationship with Christ yeah. throughout your whole life? Uh, that's a that's another. Re- you're asking all the right questions. So, uh, firstly, before I answer that, I just want to say that. Uh, your daughter Philomena is is beautiful, and what a what a blessing to your family! Congratulations, Rob. Thank you, Father. Um, and I I'm really blessed in a way because I didn't have any long season of my life where I was away from the church. I never really was away from the church. Um, 
I will say that just to be fair, and God knows all of the uh, details here, there were moments in my life where I was very tempted and tried and doubted and wanted uh, to, to, to kind of give up on the faith. Um, but those moments were always met with, uh, eventually met with perseverance. So there was never, praise God, a time where I I fell away. But God uses all of these stories. Sometimes a person, it takes, a person's being convinced by God can take years away from the church. Sometimes it takes moments. Uh, God knows what each soul needs. So uh, for me, I would say other than, you know, many moments uh, of my life where I was tempted and tried, uh, the, uh, praise the Lord, I remained, I re- at least remained in the church, even if I wasn't particularly edifying or faithful, you know. So like growing up, um, your pa- you grew up in a very Catholic atmosphere, mm-hmm. I'm imagining, right? So do you remember like that first conscious, uh, I mean, a Protestant will call it born again experience, obviously for us, mm-hmm. it's baptism is that, but do you, do you because mm-hmm. I, I, I think there's like a, as we get a little older in our teen years, like we, you do make a conscious like, Oh wow, this is real. (laughs) Yes. I, there are a couple of moments I can point to where it was just sheer grace where I was, I had learned all the facts, you know, of, of the faith and I understood the kind of building blocks of our church. And, but there was, I remember a couple of times in my life where I was simply struck by how God loved me. It was really, the, that was the center of my, of, of even my, I would say reversion, although I was never away, I would yeah. say I had these moments of reversion that were always centered on love that I realized I'm a beloved son of God. And, yeah. um, and that was, I was overwhelmed by that sense. And, and that's how he caught me. And I don't always, I wish I had that kind of fervor, that sense uh, 24-7, but I have these moments of my life where God reminds me of that. So it, they, they weren't particularly dramatic. They were very ordinary moments where I was just kind of stopped in my tracks, and I realized God loves me, and I need to do something about that. Yeah, you know, and so just the idea of becoming a priest from that or from my my early, from my late teens, uh, it always seemed to be the best way that I could respond to him. And there were lots of I was just not sure. Like I said, I really wasn't sure until my mo- the moment of my ordination. And after that, now I have zero doubt of yeah. what God wants for me. You know, it, re- it really is amazing how God like you when you look when you look in hot. First of all, I hate the word reversion like as Catholics that we have to use reversion. Like, no, I think that all of us are called to a continuous conversion. Right. right? That's so true. Yeah. I think all of us are just always called to a continuous conversion and like a deepening of our relationship with God and, and and a deeper appreciation for all the things. But I know like my life has been very messy at times and at those messy times, like I really didn't see God in it. And then when you look in hindsight, you really do see God had his hand in it the whole time. Yeah. It sounds, yeah, that sounds exactly right to me. I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with St. Augustine, uh, 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 <laughs> we, we Norbertines, we follow the rule of St. Augustine that he himself wrote. And we read, oh, that. Really? We, yes, we read from his rule every day to remind ourselves what he wrote and his life. Uh, the conf- we take a course on his, uh, on his confessions. We have to be thoroughly familiar with the life of St. Augustine. And, uh, it's so important that, uh, that we have that daily conversion that, and in fact, in Norbertine, we, we, uh, we promise when we make our vows a conversion of our ways. That's a part of our formula of profession uh, that that's it's there, even though we've been practicing our faith and we haven't left the church. When we make our vows, we promise to convert, you know, 
so I think your your the distinction there between reversion and conversion is 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 apt. Yeah, I, I feel like we're like told we have to say reversion because all these Protestant converts come in, and it's like, no, 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 that's our word. That's this is our church. You guys aren't going to steal our word. <laughs> that's great. Father, that's great. I'm so grateful you came on with us, man. It's uh, first off, it's always so, um, it's so like touching for us to see priests who really do love the Lord and and have, and are on fire for the faith still. And we will be praying for you. And please pray please. for us. You've got it. I will definitely pray for you for all your viewers and everyone out there right now. Please. Thank you for your prayers for me, for my community. There are a uh, hundred of us Norbertines now in our, associated with our monastery. God is calling a lot. We have seven young men entering just next month. So pray for them, especially um, that they will be able to persevere and uh, overcome the many trials uh, of religious life. Uh, anyway, it's a beautiful life and the Lord wants them there and the devil does not want people to join monasteries. So we have to pray really hard for, for our religious out there. So thank you very much. Listen, I know you came on to promote the book, but we would love to just get you back on just to talk the faith sometime or something. If you're ever able to, this was such a great interview. I appreciate it so much, Rob. I'm sure Rob too. Yeah. Right. Oh, this was amazing. Well, so my, guys, my joy. guys stick around. We're, father's going to go and then Rob and I are going to hang out and we're going to talk, you know, just talk other stuff, but father, we're going to promote your book thoroughly for you we're we're so grateful you came on and i hope you i hope we i hope we don't lose touch we really yes really please, please do stay in touch and uh pray to saint philomena and she'll be watching over you thank, thank you so you, much father god bless you, <laughs> you take too. care that was great that was oh man i'm buying the book first off so stella turned 13 on sunday and right yeah <clears throat> and um First of all, she's got some crappy friends, like not <laughs> crappy, like bad friends, but like they, like they make plans without her and like she's home right now. And I'm like, it's summertime. And I'm like, I see she's like a little bit depressed. And I'm like, I feel terrible. And I'm like, like Stella, me and you're going out tomorrow night. I'm taking you to the movies or something. Like I'm taking my nice. daughter to do something tomorrow. <laughs> like, yeah, like I feel so bad for her. But like, I'm going to buy this book for her. Maybe just sit and read it with her. Like I, we, her and I have read a couple of books together and stuff. So this would, this would be a good one. Could get her one of the the cords too. Yeah, yeah, it's not a bad idea. Listen, I'm I'm telling you, like, <clears throat> we all need like little private devotions, especially mm -hmm. if like, I, I mean, how often do you hear from people asking like, oh, how did you conquer your addiction to whatever? You know what I mean? It's like, I really think these devotions to saints are are the thing. <clears throat> Father leaves the chat immediately. My daughter has crappy friends. <laughs> I, listen, I try to just share personal stuff with you guys, but um, yeah, dude, I've been watching this um, uh, church history documentary because I always have a hard time falling asleep, but this church mm -hmm. history documentary I've been watching, the guy has a very like subtle, like a, not subtle, like a, a, a soothing voice and the so music is really he subtle. He sounds exactly the opposite of you. Oh, come on. We have to talk about this. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. oh. We have to talk. I know what we have to talk about. <laughs> so Joe Clark messaged Rob the other day. <laughs> Joe is a, a mutual of both Anthony and I on Twitter, and he watches the show, and he uh, he has really witty, funny comments that he shares with us. And he nailed both of us pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> he gave a description of me. Oh, it's right out. on the money. <laughs> freaked me out a bit so he said well, only because you had to look up it look up the words in the I dictionary need a thesaurus to be this guy's friend a dictionary i don't even know what the heck this means so uh all right so he said you are a garrulous autodidact and that is your value proposition and i'm like what what does that mean so anthony's like hey siri 
<laughs> what does garrulous mean? And Siri's like, what does gurgling mean? <laughs> garrulous means excessively talkative, especially on trivial matters. So he's got that down, right? Check mark. All right. What does didact mean? That autodidact is someone who teaches themselves everything. Which I think that's pretty fair, right? Like I, I didn't want to drop out and I didn't go to college, so so I'm an over I'm an excessive talker on trivial matters, but I'm self-taught. So that's a pretty yeah, fair act. Pretty much right on. A pretty fair description of me, I would say. Uh-huh. <laughs> but um, oh, yeah, you said the you said the the forbidden word though. What was that? Trivia. <laughs> I said trivial, <laughs> not trivia. It's we're doing, different, Mac. We're doing trivia next week. <clears throat> um, not no, next week. No, not week after. Seventh. Yeah, the seventeenth. So next week, we're going to keep tonight in an hour, guys. Um, but the um, the seventeenth, we're doing trivia. So next week, um, on the eighth, we have uh, Charles Frowny or Frowny, right? Frowny. Yep. Um, I'm going to butcher that. Uh, Wednesday, Rob and I are going to be on the Return of the King podcast. Yep. Then Thursday, we have um, Keith Nestor. We're doing a lot of shows next week. And Saturday, we have Gavin Ashen. Oh, boy. Yeah. Hope and Nicole are going to murder us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're oh. going to kill us. <laughs> Missy, you might not even know what trivia is. Missy, you're new to the channel. We do. Okay, so what we're going to do is I'm going to pick two of our paid uh, subscribers on Locals are going to join us. I'm going to pick two volunteers that are that are paid subscribers, that are, you know, those who support us that want to come on. Oh, I was hoping she wasn't listening right now. Oh. My wife. Dead. Dead. <laughs> Hope you got to bear with us. It's a rough week next week. Um, so... We're gonna pick. Uh, we're gonna pick two two local supporters. We're gonna get Jason and Mark. We're gonna reach out to Angela. See if Angela wants to come on. Darren, um, we need Darren. Darren for sure. Yeah. Uh, who else do we have to get on? Connor. Got to have Connor. Yeah. So Darren, Connor, Jason, Mark, Angela, and two local supporters. Yeah. And hopefully everybody can come. I'm sure. Uh, I know Connor is gonna definitely want to come. Hopefully Darren can make it. And what we do is. Rob and I, we play Catholic trivia, and and we audience, fight over the answers. The audience plays too. So what we do is the first three in the audience that get the correct answer get a point. Okay. So at the end of the episode, the top three players that got the most points, I will probably not pick the winner. Right. But I'll pick someone. <laughs> we'll get a prize, Caitlin. and the prize. Caitlin thinks we should have uh, Nick Cavazos. But I think Nick Caitlin, Cavazos will still be that's, alive. That's his last day he's at Clear Creek Abbey yeah. reading the uh, the Summa. So he won't be able to join us for that one. Yeah, which uh, he'll be there for the next one. But we're doing it the 17th. This is confirmed. 17th, we're doing trivia. Um, I think I'm going to make the stream maybe tomorrow. And let's promote the heck out of it. Yeah, I, pro- I promoted two of them. So one one is church history, and the other is saints and sinners, this history of the popes. And, um, like, I'm so somebody was talking about, like, uh, when did Latin come into the church and stuff? Like, I got all of that from that saints and sinners documentary. Like, Pope Gregory the Great really unified the church with Latin. And it wasn't just Latin. Like, he unified the whole church with uh, the calendar too. He gave us the Gregorian calendar. He wanted everybody celebrating Easter on the same date. Like he was Gregorian like Gregorian chant. 
Gregorian chanting him. I mean, he was one of the greatest popes we no, have ever had. No, no, the Gregorian calendar is not him. Oh, it's not? Oh, okay. No, that that's later. like Gregory the seventh or the okay, 14th okay. or something like that. But either way, he made everybody celebrate Easter on the same date. Like he wanted unity. He was like the, the the Latin Church will be in union. So he he's the one who pushed through Latin and everything. He's the one who got um, uh, who, who wrote the Vulgate. He, he finalized uh, no, that. That was Jerome, but that was Jerome. Under, but I think uh, Gregory commissioned Jerome to do no, it. No, that was about a hundred or two hundred years later. It was oh, Pope okay. Damasus that commissioned. The, okay, okay, okay. Uh, trivia, um, guys. But Gregory <laughs> We're be the Great. Trivia. That's a good question. Gregory the Great did. Uh, in under his reign, the Roman canon was finished and remained completely unchanged until 1962. Um, so yeah, the his his reign, I mean, there's a reason he's called you know Pope Saint Gregory the Great. The Great. Yeah, that Saints and Sinners document look, they give you the bad ones too. I mean, you're gonna go through the um, the pornocracy, you're gonna go through all of that, but the, but what I took from that documentary, first of all, it's really really strange because what you what you'll take from it is seeing the divine protection the church has like you see some messy popes mm -hmm. in there and it's like the church still manages to keep it together and um but you do see in the last episode a clear change <laughs> when john the 23rd comes it's like all these popes are talking a certain way, doing things a certain way, doing things a certain way, that all of a sudden John the 23rd comes and let's open the windows to the world. And it's like, whoa, what's going on here? It is a clear change in in something. And it's and it's like, I don't know are if I'd have picked up on it. Are you saying the set is paid for that last episode? What did you say? Are you saying the set of a contest paid to have that last episode made? <laughs> no, they don't. They they in the documentary they make it like it's great. And oh, I'm sure praiseworthy, right? Like they think, yeah. oh, oh, the, the church is the modern world. But you, if you're like a devout Catholic, you're watching, you go, no, no, <laughs> cancel the council, don't do it. <laughs> it's pretty great. But uh, even that, dude, CNN did a documentary on the popes too. Uh, and you and your you and your secular CNN documentaries. Well, well, the Saints document, the Pope's documentary wasn't bad until the last two episodes. Of the la yeah, it was the last two episodes. Are <laughs> horrific. Brother Michael Diamond is loving this. <laughs> the The last two episodes when they get up to Francis, you're just like, oh, yeah. please come on, stop! It's just a Francis love fest, and the whole thing is about how Francis is opening up to Islam, and the Muslims love Francis, and it's like, oh gosh you know it's i can't watch movies like with people outside uh, of like hope anymore because it's like you know like the like for instance like kingdom of heaven and you know where they make the templars the bad guys and everyone's cheering against them and i'm like yeah the, the 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 um the okay so like vikings and uh what's yeah. the one there's one on netflix about like the vikings the last kingdom too. the last kingdom right like I, every one of those shows, they always try to show. Um, hold on one sec, uh, agrarian peasant. I'm gonna give you guys the link to the to the Pope's documentary and the other one. Um, they're both on free on YouTube. So, uh, but yeah, they they make those shows, and they're always shows that show the Vikings as the good guys, or like glorifying. Yeah, they're the, they're, the, they're the, uh, the open minded egalitarian. You know where women can be in charge too, sort of societies, so and it's like. But it's like okay, these these civilizations they were so great, but they all converted to Christianity. 
Yeah. And it, it's preposterous. Well, it's like all the people who are into like, you know, so-called Norse paganism again these days. It's like you people don't understand that the, the religion you think you're celebrating is the remnants that the Catholics allowed you to read about. Like, you know, Catholic monks, the, the Vikings didn't have an alphabet. Monks yeah. took the Viking runes, turned it into an alphabet to use for their language, and then wrote down all the Viking stories That's the thing. that you, they you, thought were worthwhile. 100%. Like, even the Greek myths. Like, I, I don't think people realize that the Greek myths, we have them because it was Catholic monks that translated. So, Rob, I gave you the saints and sinners one. I'm going to give you the... Um the other one too. Hey. How do you expect me to magically get it from my phone? Where do you want me to put it? WhatsApp? WhatsApp, yeah. Well, you could text it to WhatsApp, can't you? <laughs> yes. Oh, I come suppose. on. Can't have two of us not paying attention, though, right? <laughs> We're both looking at our phones. The worst show. We are the worst. <laughs> Let me see if I can even find it. We are. We're so terrible. You guys, it, you I'm know you're you, guys, you know you're screwed when Anthony has something he you know, like you want to watch, and you ask him for the link because you're probably never gonna get it. <laughs> oh, I got it, I got it, I got it. Okay, wait. All right, I'm sending this one to WhatsApp. WhatsApp. <clears throat> Rob, next. Guys, it's terrible that I don't know how to share a link. <laughs> That's how bad I am. <laughs> uh, you guys uh, have no idea how. <laughs> the worst. What what doing this show is like? <laughs> All right, Saints and Sinners. I got that one. I can send that one too. Hang on. Okay, so this one I'm putting in now is uh, um, the Church History documentary. Yeah, the Church History one first, and then Saints and Sinners. Yeah, guys, like these are great to go to sleep to, right? Like <laughs> they, they are. They're good to there because so you don't need to actually. So the Saints and Sinners one, they're showing still shots. Like, it's not like they have footage from the first century. So you're seeing, like, first off, the song, the intro song is my favorite song I've ever heard. It's a version wait a minute, of wait a minute. You mean the, the, the Chosen is made up? It's not real from the first century? <laughs> Are you serious? So the Saints and Sinners documentary, though, like the Kyrie that they sing in the beginning is so beautiful. I wanted to see if we could get it as, like, the intro for our show. It's so good. Um, well, I can, I can rip it off of there, no problem. It's but, gonna be copywritten, yeah. Um, but it's like, uh, yeah, so they basically just show like uh icons and things like that. So you could even like listen to it as you go to bed, you don't even have to watch it, you know. It's like, um, so it's it's a good one for that, but uh, and then the so yeah, so the Saints and Sinners one is really good, and then the, the church history one. I didn't know if it was going to be Catholic or not, but the guy, like, I mean, it has to be like, it's very Catholic. Like it goes through all the heresies, everything. And like, and it goes through all like the big players and the big saints that really, you know, pulled it all together and like goes through every heresy. And I mean, it's, it's only two hours long and you get a pretty decent snapshot of church history. It's pretty cool. One of my favorite classes in, uh, in college was, uh, was church history. Um, and I, I went to the University of Nebraska, so it was completely secular. So much of it, of course, was BS. But I loved it because day by day, you could see the devout Protestants getting more and more and more confused as to why we weren't talking about their religions. <laughs> it yeah, was literally three-quarters of the way through the class until anything that they knew was mentioned. 
there's never been a truer statement than St. John Henry Newman to be, to, to be steeped in history is to cease being Protestant. Like you don't understand, like you really do see it. It's like when you, especially you start seeing like Irenaeus and Ignatius and you start seeing the way these guys spoke and, and not even just that, like when Irenaeus go, gets put to death, like the things he says, like he, I want to be ground as wheat in the teeth of the lions. Mm-hmm. Like you're like, whoa, we don't have anybody that talks like that anymore. It's like you, these guys wanted to be martyred. Like they were so happy they were going to be martyred. And even the uh, St. Philomena story, Rob, mm-hmm. like I meant to talk to you about this when you, cause I, I really did watch a bunch of videos on it and this, almost all of them are children's videos. Right. But I found a good one that was, uh, like, like really telling the adult story. Like, they try to drown her with an anchor. Like, yeah. they wrap an anchor around her neck. They drown her. She doesn't drown. They they bring her up. They shoot her with an arrow. She doesn't die. So Diocletian throws her in a dungeon because he thinks she's going to die, and she doesn't die for days. And then he finally beheads her. But you're like, this poor girl. Like, let her die. <laughs> like, like, that poor girl, the things she... But it's like especially early on, man, like when you really think about how the church spread, especially during the apostolic times, like Paul would go put his hands on a bishop. Like he, he would literally put his hands on a man. And when Paul put his hands on a man, it was almost like the man received divine revelation Mm -hmm. directly into his head. So like you really see a, a solid Catholic Orthodox faith immediately come about. It's like, um, Beckett, St. Thomas Beckett, right? Like before his uh, consecration as bishop, he was not a good guy. He was not yeah. a good priest. You know, he was a, a friend of the king and he was, uh, you know, womanizing and he wasn't chaste and he was a drunkard and all of this. And then he becomes bishop and all of a sudden he is willing to go go to his death for the faith. For the faith. It's crazy. Like, at, at, yeah, man. Like when you really see how that early church spread, it's like – it's so funny, like how Protestants would think, like, "Oh, we get the Bible and everything." Like, look at how crazy Protestantism got in a couple hundred years. Forget yeah. that in the first decades of Protestantism. Like, look at how bananas it got when everybody you, you had Luther telling you know the the Protestant princes to to violently put down you know the Anabaptist and other. Other, you know, new sex like it but everybody that picked up the Bible made their own religion up. That's literally mm-hmm. what happened, right? Whereas when you had Paul going around laying his hands on people, once these bishops, like these bishops, would set up, they'd have. It's not like they had communication like they do now. It's like, like but it same, was a church, a separate, you know, well, all, not, not, all separate. Yeah. Well, it was one church, but like, yeah, they were separate communities that had no interaction with each other other than letters here and there, right? Mm-hmm. So it was like to 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 realize that these men, wherever an apostle set up a church where a patriarchate would get set up, like so you really gotta realize Peter went to three different places. He went to Antioch, he went to well Constantinople or uh Antioch, Antioch Alexandria. Alexandria and, and Rome, Rome, right? So you had the Bishop of Rome was the Pope, but you had the patriarchs of those other two. Like, the, those three always had pride of place because of Peter. Like, because Peter went to those, like, even those, even though he dies like, in Rome. Like, we celebrate the char- – um, I don't know about the Novus Ordo, but we used to liturgically celebrate the chair of St. Peter at, at Antioch and the chair of St. Peter at Rome as separate feasts. Yeah. Yeah, because those seats were so important. 
And that that church history documentary really goes into like all these little things. And Anthony says like so much. I'm not sure if he's trying to get us to hit the like button every second. If he's, remember that oh, woman? That, that's that's like what button? that woman. Yeah, you say like <laughs> a lot. Listen, guys. I'm tr- all right. I'll try not to say like. I'll do my best. It's not going to work. No, it's not. I'm terrible. Um, it's especially it's like it's it's like it's one of those words that you use to stall for a second as you're trying yeah, to collect I your mean, thoughts. Yeah, it's just part of that hoopla. <laughs> I was still embarrassed about that, but no, we all say. Uh, I have a friend at work that says the f word when he's doing that. Like he's like F-in, instead of saying like F-in. instead he says instead of saying like he'll go ethin 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 like when he's trying to think it's like you need a second to think so you say a word you bro I'm just mad. thank you I you guys can always rag on me I don't care <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'll switch to uh instead of like <laughs> um yeah these uh I I think these documentaries are good to watch just they give you little bits and tidbits of the faith that you may not have picked up and how you know it's hard to read a lot of times if you're driving in your car they're good to listen to these are yeah. these are not visual things you know they, they're basically podcasts so you can check out a i'm gonna now when i re-listen to this and i hear myself say like it's gonna drive me crazy you know and what, like oh i just did it too <laughs> <laughs> thanks guys <laughs> but um you know i used to read a lot more before kids and of course yeah. now not only is there less time but kids love to grab whatever is in your hand yes they do it, you know so whether it's an ipad i'm reading on a kindle on and they want to throw it to the ground and break it or if it's a book they want to grab it and rip it so i don't get to read a lot anymore and like i've noticed that audiobooks number one i'm a much more visual learning uh learner so listening i don't retain as much but audiobooks don't work very well just in general i feel because that was written to be read yeah. or as a podcast, which is words being spoken, just like, but it's meant to be listened to. It's a conversation. It's meant to be listened to. Yeah. Um, uh, so father was, uh, we have coming on August, uh, September 9th. Yep. I'm excited. September, for Saturday, September 9th. We have father Mosley coming back. On. Are we going to try to do that one on YouTube? I don't know. His, I think his latest, just... his latest book is about, um, all of his books are about type, typology. It's but this the, one's old, about the, the old and new series. But this one is about typology related to the conversion of the Amish yeah. at the end of time. <laughs> so that might be interesting. The people of the old covenant. Oh, man. I had a fight with my wife before I came on tonight. Is this one of those videos we're going to hope she doesn't watch? I don't care if she watches. I'm so mad at her right now. I have no idea. She disassembled my whole studio before I came on. Like I, I'm... well, you don't you don't think she's going to read Augustine's uh, Confessions, bro? No, that's the point, right? So she takes my books. She takes, she takes the brother's caravans. Like she's not reading Dostoevsky. She couldn't even reach. You're not reading Dostoevsky either. I stop your nonsense. I read the brother's caravans <laughs> off. Stop your nonsense. I haven't read the idiot yet. I think it's a biography about crime and punishment. Me. <laughs> Crime of Punishment, I haven't read either. But uh, the Brothers Cameras off my man. That sounds like me just doing this podcast. <laughs> Crime, <and Punishment. laughs> Crime of Punishment is what I put you through, and The Idiot is a biography <laughs> about me. Um, <laughs> so she comes down and she takes Augustine City of God, 
She takes the brother's characters off. She took uh, uh, the little flower of St. Francis of Assisi. The little flowers of... I'm like, you're not reading these. Why are you taking... She wanted them for decorations upstairs. I'm like, but I need them for decorations down here. I broadcast what goes on my shelf. Nobody's coming in the house. <laughs> Killer woman. <laughs> oh man all right we're gonna keep this one at an hour tonight kids <laughs> yeah we've been off the rails for half an hour. <laughs> i sent rob a bunch of stories tonight i'm like i just thought i'm sorry he goes, well, why don't we chill out with any of the controversy we're having, we're having a priest on tonight why don't we chill because you know we don't want his face in a video yeah. Where Anthony says something crazy. Well, where we're talking about Vigano's latest letter or something. Right. Like, you just don't. That's you sent me that and I'm like, uh, maybe we don't do this with Father Peregrine. Yeah, no, and that, that was actually very, very um sound reasoning. Like I'm glad you did. Um oh man, I'm tired. Sorry guys. Uh yeah, I had I mean, is there anything we could talk about that I sent you? Um, has anything happened in the last few days? Well the Oh, we should. Everything we said about. Should uh, we World do the Matt Gaspers tweet? Yeah, what was that one? Let me look that one. Bring that Matt Gaspers tweet up. <laughs> World Youth Day. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say everything we said about World Youth Day has been proven to have been right on the money. 100%. Uh, turns out the consecration of host in the Ikea Bulls might not have even been valid at all. So. Wait, so what was the deal with that? Would you think those were consecrated at a mass before that, though? No, so I haven't seen any official story. All I saw was a tweet by one priest, not a rad trad priest, not even a traditional priest as far as I know, just a conservative Novus Ordo priest who said that he had heard that they had all the uh, Eucharistic ministers standing around the whole area with the unconsecrated host in the Ikea ciboriums. So they weren't on the Saran wrap. So they weren't on the altar. They weren't even uncovered to because the the part of the the form is the priest is like the breath of the priest, like actually as he says the words of consecration, touching the the sacred species. Um, so, and I don't know if this is true, but like I said, it sounded like they had already been handed out and were all over during the consecration and probably were not consecrated at all. So I thought they were consecrated at a previous mass and that that's, I mean, I don't know. I Which that's, that's legit because, you know, I mean, a lot of times the, the priest will pull the ciborium out of the tabernacle. Yeah. With host from at a the previous priest. mass, they were consecrated. Right. So if, if that's the case, that, that would be, I mean, they were validly consecrated then at least, but of course it's still pretty significant Eucharistic <laughs> abuse what happened after. The whole idea of con celebration is weird to me. Yeah. Like that whole idea of like seven or eight bishops up at the altar together and they're all holding their hands. Like that's a weird thing to me. Well, it doesn't exist in the Roman Rite prior to 1970. You know, it's, and I, I don't know if it exists in the Eastern churches, um, but it's not, it's not a Latin practice, not a it's, Roman practice. It's just weird to me. It's like, because I mean, are they all acting as Christ at this? Like, you know what I mean? Like it's the sacrifice. Yeah. Of, the of one, the, the one 
priest is standing in persona Christi. It's a it's yep. a weird thing, man. Like I don't I just don't I don't know, man. The more the more you attend the traditional liturgy, the more you dislike the novus <laughs> Well like as as Father Modsley says, the more you realize how disoriented um yeah the 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 modern rite is. It's just weird. Like all well, of it's weird. I don't know. It's it's just it's all weird stuff. I don't know. Yeah, I, wanna, I was going to say here. I, I as far I as I heard can, that the Eastern as far as I know, okay, have something called it, but the theology behind it and the practice of it is once again far different. Just just like how um, in the few Eastern churches that do have communion in the hand, it's not the current Roman practice, right? Yeah. It's completely different. Completely different. And it's like even if like I mean the way like the way they'll say the communion in the hand thing they'll be like this is actually a practice from the early church it's antiquarianism right so they 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 take this quote from Saint Jerome where Saint Jerome is talking about a very specific situation where he's saying take your hands and make them like an altar and you bow before the altar and you you, you, you don't pick it up and put it in your mouth you go like you this, go like this and, and like, then you venerate your eyes with your hands you venerate your ears you because your hands touch the consecrated host yeah, right so it's right. like so they so they describe this antiquarian practice that that it's like if that was how people were receiving maybe. But that's not what's going on. Like, if you watch World Youth Day and you watch how the people were receiving there, it's atrocious. Like, it's just it's just so offensive. And if you're not offended by it, it's like, I don't know if you really know what you're looking at, right? Like, uh, right. I mean, not to not to judge anyone, but I I just like it's something like this. Like the reaction within me is like visceral. You know, it, it like it is so against like my my. Well, you know, your, your census, Catholic sensibility. Census for day. You know? Yeah. Yeah, just, dude, at, at my son's confirmation, it was at a Novus Ordo Mass, mm-hmm. and it was, uh, I went up to the pre, it was during COVID, right? So it was 2020, during COVID, and everybody's got masks on. And I go up to the, to the priest uh, before the confirmation, I'm like, Father, is there any way I can receive on the tongue if I wait till the end? If I'm the last one to go, I'm like, I would really like my son and I to both receive on the tongue. He goes, I, I just can't do it. The, the head pastor won't allow it. You know, like he wanted to. But the the head pastor wouldn't allow it. So I didn't receive it, my son's confirmation. But I'm sitting there and I'm watching everybody with their masks on. They're going up with their masks on, holding mm-hmm. one hand out, pulling their mask off, and then receiving and Three hosts hit yeah. the ground at one mass. And I gasped. Like I was like. <gasps> and no and, one else even. And nobody else even thought anything of it. No. The guy just picked it up off the ground, put it in his mouth. He broke it in half on the floor. It's like, what is going on here? Like, after, especially after like for going for months at the traditional mass and then seeing something like that. It was like, I was irked, like so mm. upset that nobody can. And I'm like, how do you, how do you as a priest how do you as a priest continue that practice? I don't know. Like, honestly, as a priest, you see this happen during COVID, especially. You're seeing everybody with the mask and it's dropping and it's falling on the ground. How do you honestly continue that practice when you see that happen so often? Like, I, I really, I don't know, man. Like, you wonder if these men, I don't know. I, I don't Mary, Mary here says that World Youth Day 2023 has the lowest attendance. Oh, it's under a half ever. a million. It's under a half a million. That's and, like and the like, first time. It's not even close. 
you know, besides all the, uh, of course, abuse and just kind of irreverence that happens at these things, you know, you hear the argument said by those that support it, like, oh, but look at all the good it does. It's like, it's not. It's failed. I mean, it, it, every one of these has failed, right? You, Mike, Mike if this Lewis, is the lowest attendance ever. Mike Lewis tweets out a Where Peter Is article bragging about the amount of catechesis going on. There's these catechesis sessions going on. There's hundreds of them. And I read the article. It's like, yeah, this this looks like catechesis right here, folks. <laughs> this is the tweet. Are you joking me? <laughs> Interpretive dance with lettering. Look, I'm gonna be honest. You we, oh. we you guys are just old now. Like this is what the young kids are into. This is oh hip. yeah, yeah. This is hip. This is hip. Telling you, we yeah. Because how many man. of those half million kids can even read the English that they spell right? this in? <laughs> Come on, <laughs> it's in Lisbon, and they put words in English. Um, so he puts out the article saying how much cat this catechetical sessions going on, hundreds of them. It's Bishop McElroy giving one. It's all these horrible men giving these catechetical sessions, not on the Catholic faith, on the synodal church, on synodality. That's not that's not catechesis. I'm sorry. That's like the opposite of catechesis. That's like so, teaching people away from the faith. Even the things Francis was saying today. Yeah, I know that this parish is actually, I think, where my cousin got married. That's, I don't know if you if you remember during COVID that there was yeah, a parish handing out in Ziplocs. That yeah. was the parish my cousin got married at. So Francis today says. Um, uh, Everyone is welcome in the church. Everyone, no exceptions. Everyone, sinners, everyone, all sinners. It's like, um, well, obviously. Well, duh. That's been the practice of the church forever. Like, why are you making a big deal of it? What you're not saying is that everyone is welcome with requirements. Like, there are requirements. Like, you can't just say everyone's welcome and doesn't matter. No, there's, like, there's, there's requirements to being Catholic. There just is. Otherwise, what did the martyrs die for? Yeah. And it's like, it's like he'll always say something true, but a half truth and leave out the important part. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's just, it's just, or, or in those times where he actually does say something fully and they only report on half of it, which, yeah, that's true. But you never hear a clarification from the Vatican saying this is what was really said. Yeah, they've just totally abandoned that practice because he likes he likes the messiness. He likes, likes that ambiguity. He likes the ambiguity. Yep. He likes it all. Because they'll say something true but ambiguous so that people can then say, see, the church is a church for sinners. And yeah, like that's mm. literally what it is. I mean, we're all sinners. No, Nobody in the history of the church came in saying I'm perfect. Mary. What Mary say? Oh, obviously, but she never Mary, came to say Mary it. Was perfect. <laughs> Think about Mary in our comments. I'm like, Mary <laughs> says she's perfect. Really? <laughs> Poor Mary. Oh, uh, oh, Paul. The good Ouch. news is that the kids, that all the kids, are so drunk that no one paid attention to Father Mark. Yeah, dude. I think like. It, if you're going to one of those things, it's like you're looking for a bar. It's like, ah, let's just all go hang out and meet up. It's like, are you really going to go see a Bishop McElroy catechetical session? Come on. What is the point of, of any of this stuff? <laughs> Maybe this is just my anti, my, my anti-socialness coming out, but why would you go to any of this stuff with half a million people? Like, yeah, how is that going like to, how can you feel like an intimate, 
connection with God with half a million people around you. Imagine if Father James Martin converted. That would be unreal. He just becomes base and starts saying that he'll preach in orthodoxy. That's, listen, man. Uh, I, I'm so, uh, somebody who's been a, 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 a frequent guest on this show, not frequent, but been on more than once, uh, has a sister who was living the rainbow lifestyle, very disordered, almost went trans, and is coming into the church. And this is a pretty big, pretty big person who's been on our show. And the like the miracle that this person went from that to not just Catholic, but like traditional Catholic, like going, getting received into the church and a traditional mass, like all of it. It's like, don't think anything is beyond God. If, if Augustine could become St. Augustine, I wouldn't put, you know, you can't put it past God that Slim Jim Martin might become based, (laughs) but I'm not going to bet money on it. Yeah. I'm not going to bet money on it (laughs) because I need to put it into the show. And plus we need free will. We all have, we all have free will to reject God's grace. So, but you never know how it's going to go, but all right, let's wrap this up. Cause rebuilding I, the bridge. <laughs> That's actually great. <laughs> oh man, that would be so awesome. Uh, all right. So well, let's promote father's book again though, before we go. So, yeah. So I'll hold on. Let me throw it in the chat. I'm, I, I'm going to throw it in the description uh, probably half an hour or so after we get done here. Um, I want to order that book. Actually, I'm going to order it right now. It. Uh, I don't think Where you can. I, I order think it. From? I think it releases on the eighth. Okay, so it's it, pre-order or it's pre-ordered now, and it's right now only available at Tan. Okay, good. So m- most of the the interviews we do on books, guys, are from Tan. We have a, a rep over there that helps get us schedule interviews. So. We'll have Dr. K on hopefully sometime soon to talk about a couple of his books too. Oh, also jo- uh, Joshua Charles' book from Sophia is dropping. Um, that, I think that's pre-order now. It's and pre-order it now, so in October, I think. Yeah, so Joshua Charles's book is coming out. Uh, I want to make sure we promote that. We'll get him back on to talk about that. Maybe we'll get his co-author on with him. Let's see. So Mary says she says it's, it's sold out, but I'm on their website right now, and it says pre-order now. Which book is that? Uh, my my name is Philomena. Oh, okay, okay. Well, I don't know yeah, if she's talking about the same book. It's not released yet, so. Um. Yeah. So Joshua Charles's book is called "Persecuted from Within: How the Saints Endured Crises in the Church." Uh, he co-authored that with. Uh, uh, Alec Torres. So we'll get maybe we'll get both of them on to talk about that book. What does pre-order even mean? To the well, the, you, the phrasing is weird, right? Because you're ordering. Yeah, you're you ordering, ordering it but, before it's actually going to be sent out to you. So you get your order in, and then you you might actually get it a day or two before it goes officially on sale. Right. They they're just saying they. They're going to get it from the actual printer at a certain date, and they think they can have it ready to ship on the release date. Sometimes it gets, Yeah, the reason you know, they do pre-order is because they want to get an idea of how many they should print. Yeah. So, but yeah. All right, I'll reach out to Josh. Let's go, Rob. Let's wrap this okay. up. Sounds good. Adios, everybody. United the Clans. Enoch. Let's go. Yo, 
Take me back to my reversion. 